0: Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is Paused Reviews. Oh, welcome. Welcome back for another week of your favorite podcast with your favorite hosts. I, as always, am your boy Frank, joined by my main man, Tim welcome timothy
1: thank you thank you it's good to do this again it just feels right doesn't it it does i'm judging my weeks in quarantine by like what day like it's nice to have like some sort of routine so it's like (laughs) oh sunday is podcast day
0: you can just look at the episode number and be like oh okay 12 (laughs) weeks 13 weeks 14 weeks. I honestly like this is what gets me through the week because during the week right we're watching stuff and and trying to catch up on so you know that, that's thing number one I love is just taking in new content and trying to find little gems here and there or watching old favorites yeah. and then on Sunday nights we get to hang out and BS about movies and TV what's not to love.
1: I know. We tried not one week for everyone out there when we switched up the formatting. We we're like, oh, we'll just record the rewind and the deep dive on the same night and we'll take the Sunday off. And I think we ended up. Chatting for like two and a half hours anyway that (laughs) Sunday night, and most of it was just about how upset we were that we weren't recording an
0: episode. (laughs) So (laughs) it's so true, and actually, so that since then, yeah, we we just recorded every, we just split it and record every week, which has been good anyway because then we can actually focus in on the movies. Anyways, guys, we have so much to go through to like a lot happened in the past week or two. Yeah. Um, we are going to do our best to kind of burn through. We, there's basically there's a lot of news. There's a lot of news that maybe is worth covering and talking about, so we want to touch on all that good stuff. And then obviously we watch some content, so we want to give you guys some recommendations or maybe steer you away from some things that caused us mm-hmm. a bit of concern and uh, and then we did have a listener question so hopefully we have time to get to that if not we'll definitely put it on the docket for next week but i think we can do it tim i yeah, think we I think can so. do it
1: our key will be not to linger on any one item for an ex- you know extreme amount of time can we do it
0: i feel like you're you're staring into my very soul <laughs> um i feel like this is a commentary on me um <laughs> And I'm going to take it as insult, Tim.
1: <laughs> i don't know i've got some of the biggest blurbs in this outline so oh, that, is,
0: that is <laughs> no i think I think we're we're gonna be all right we're gonna be all right okay we talked a little bit over the past several weeks obviously then the news of the industry the news of the world right is is covid black lives matter there's so much going on so much of importance going on and that trickles down into every facet of life and and the film and television industry is not immune to this and what we really want want to focus on is the ripple effect that Mm -hmm. that touches film and television and i think that's what our listeners are interested in and and that's certainly fascinating to me so it's again not that we're trying to ignore the real truth about things or like the real news about things but we just want to focus on movies and tv uh Mm -hmm. in terms of the the fight against systemic racism hbo had an interesting Mm -hmm thing happened to them in the past week or two hbo max launched about two weeks ago or maybe a little bit more and gone with the wind was part of that launch they were smacked in the face with a whole mess of controversy and a whole lot of hate because hbo decided to be on the right side of history they pulled gone with the wind not permanently not indefinitely just so that they could kind of come up with some language that makes their stance clear makes clear what's wrong about the film, but without changing what was actually created in the time. It, mm-hmm. it is a film of its time. Right. And and we can't hide from those things, nor should we. That's how we learn. HBO is just smart enough to know like, hey, we should maybe put a little word before this that talks about why this is in there and why it's wrong, but at the same time why it's important that we show it in the way that it was created. And people, despite this absolutely common sense response to the situation, people responded intensely like with so much hate so much anger acting like they were censoring it or doing something else which just simply isn't the case but to me it just seems so ridiculous that people were so up in arms about it what, what about you tim how did that strike you this week
1: there's interesting sides to all of this right um, and i think we're going to talk about a couple of other items that that sort of fit into this vein Looking at what Disney has done with Disney Plus and some of their movies from like the 60s and 50s, I've mentioned maybe previously I went back and watched the Swiss Family Robinson movie. Yeah, we
0: talked about this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And a lot of the Disney movies have a kind of a disclaimer on their title page that say like this movie depicts, you know, races in a certain way. Just nothing extreme but it does call out the fact that like hey there's some questionable stuff in this movie there's a lot to digest i've asked questions about monuments and stuff too because i just i don't understand and i'm you know there's things along the way where like yes some are cut and dry and it's like yeah this makes sense that we never see this thing again and then other ones i don't know enough about to be like you know george washington owned slaves but we have a Washington Monument. Is there a discussion there? I don't know. You know, I have to. I'm asking people. And Ford's did a great uh, online conversation with um, two scholars recently. So if you want to check that out, check out the, the Ford's Theater Facebook page. They did a live video last Thursday. And they kind of talked a little bit about that. But you're not censoring it in any way. I know. Maybe there's a time and a place to discuss the importance of that movie. Now I, it's been years since I've seen it all the way through, if ever. And I kind of forgotten really what it was about. I just know it's like, you know, best movie list gone with the wind is up there. So I, I don't know. You know, <laughs> again, I don't feel like I'm in a place to really pass judgment on it. If somebody feels that the movie itself is offensive, then i'm just gonna go with you on that one i don't think by putting a disclaimer on there that that is a terrible thing like i don't think that that is something people should be mad about but i don't know
0: i mean i agree there's there's no arguing the fact that this film has racist depictions like i said though it is a film of its time and so it's a it's it can be a very powerful tool to educate and and not while taking away from the entertainment and the brilliant acting done in this film, which, and I, if I'm not mistaken, and maybe I am, and maybe we'll address this in the errors and omissions, you know, I think the, the African-American actress was, whose name is not one that I have memorized, just because it's such an old film and I haven't seen it in so long, but... I'm pretty sure she won an Oscar.
1: Yeah, that feels right.
0: You know, so it's it's brilliant depictions all around. So it doesn't take away from what this film has to offer as purely a cinematic treasure. But it is also a critical opportunity for us to expand on that and learn from it, right? So whether it's the disclaimer, I think they've also talked about sort of releasing a discussion like a round table type discussion about the themes in this film and 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 that kind of stuff like there's I think that's fantastic I think it's an amazing idea and 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 for people to be up in arms it's not like they were taking it off never to air again or to censor out the this that or the other no we're going to show it in its entirety we just feel like we need to put it in context right we need to shape the narrative that this is not okay in terms of how we act as a society or treat one another as you watch this film you can see why that might be right and so yes. you know, i think that's a brilliant move and and for people to be absolutely going off the off the walls seems just completely unreasonable and crazy to me, and and truthfully, if you have a problem with it, I think you have a deeper problem, and maybe you need to ask yourself some hard questions. Yeah,
1: I've heard some discussions even recently about Forrest Gump, and just uh, some of the depictions in the movie in that movie that I had never dawned on me before until mm. you know in the recent recency of this, and it's like you see a lot of stuff, and when people point it out to you, you're like, oh my god, I've loved this movie. I watch that movie every time it's on TV, but it really doesn't play depict um you know anti-war protesters in a good way or people with hiv in a good way there's a lot of things that are problematic about that movie and it's just discussions change as society changes like there's a lot of things that especially now that we can re-air this stuff and review this stuff it's not like this stuff goes away it's it's sort of like the adage of you know once on the internet it's always on the internet you know what i mean it's it's this stuff is going to be there, and more so into the future. So we will have to tackle this, this stuff as it comes. But there are more important things, I think, to worry about right now. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah,
0: I and I think, too, this is what systemic racism means. This yeah. is the fact that these portrayals it permeates deep into the fibers of our society, including their depictions in film. Yeah. and and the fact that so many of us, me included, none of us are immune, that we have watched films like this and thought nothing of it, because mm-hmm. we are desensitized, because we accept or, or whatever the situation may be is exactly what the point is. It is that right. we have allowed this to become the norm or how we see people or, or you know, made stereotypes firmly rooted truths as opposed to what they are. And so yeah. addressing this means accepting the fact that we shouldn't just blindly watch as if it's okay. It doesn't mean cut it all out because we need yeah. to learn. It just means speak to it right? Acknowledge it. Say that you understand that this is wrong. Don't just watch it and make it okay. Um, yeah. so anyways, again, I am, I'm not a scholar <laughs> and, yeah, and right. a lot of this is, is pretty high up, but it, you know, it's, it's above my pay grade for sure. Um, yes. so it's all just opinion, but again, it's obviously newsworthy and yeah. the buck didn't stop here. Right. And and there's been a lot of flip sides to this coin.
1: Yep. I mean, I think just going off of that, the official announcement came out in the last two weeks that COPS has been officially canceled uh, after 31 years, along with uh, A&E's live PD. I've mentioned previously or in earlier episodes that um, early on during quarantine that I kind of picked up on Live PD. And they initially, when when these protests and the movement started to kind of come to a head, um, they did kind of pull it temporarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but were pretty swift after that to cancel both of these going forward. Yeah, like it was within kinda, a day or two. Yeah, they were like, oh, we'll be back next week, which at the time made sense. It, it, you know, it's like, eh. Right. It simply out of the idea that if they're filming live you know you don't know what you're sending these these film crews into with these officers like um you know just just to play on that side um it, it was just it's a rough time for everyone involved and it just wasn't a safe a, a safe environment right 31 years that cops has been on the air that's a long time bittersweet is probably the the word the like the wrong phrase for it i mean both of these were like interesting time suck shows for me. It's like, ah uh, I'm doing something, I throw cops on in the background or something like that. Right. Um, and you know, as a 30-year-old dude, how old am I? 34? <laughs> like <laughs> I, I kind of grew up with this show. So it's like, you know, at one point I all you know, every little boy wanted to be a cop, right? Like that was just sort of how you grew up. And you know that the show kind of played into that. It's again, I think it's that time in the place thing. I mean, usually I think these shows did a good job of portraying officers in a good light. But just given the complicated narrative around law enforcement and defunding of the police, I-, I think this is the right move. And again, people were super upset on Twitter. So I understand people being upset. I think it's the right decision, ultimately. Will I miss these things? Yeah, sure. For, for the value they had, but I'll get on with my life. <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and I agree with you. I, I think it's a fine line. And with and, that being said... I do think it's the right move and and for kind of I don't know. I guess my view on it is I think glorifying law enforcement is a dangerous thing, right? Yeah. It is an occupation that is so desperately needed and it needs to be done the right way. This right. is a terrible job. This is a hard job. You know, you want to show this job for what it is. And and maybe that means not showing it at all and really just bringing in the folks who want to do this the right way. I don't know. Again, not my area of expertise. I can understand the difficulties on all sides, but I absolutely think it's the right call for everybody. This has just been a really crazy week of fallout from all this stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's just so much that we have to reckon with and uh you know, it's it, and again, this a lot of this is just news. Like we're we're not necessarily here to come down on either side of it we're just telling you we're just right we're people too and we're conflicted about a ton of stuff this next thing i'm gonna mention i'm super conflicted about because i don't know and again i'll preface this by saying you know if somebody out there who is qualified to say no this is really offensive to me feels that this is really offensive then i will move on with my life if this hurts somebody then far be it for me to say that this shouldn't be changed. But, I mean
0: this is why we do this in general is for the, yeah. to have a dialogue about right. about movies and TV but never before has a dialogue been more important than right now. Yeah. Right. You know?
1: So the next thing I want to mention is um there's been a growing movement in the last couple of weeks um for Disney's taking heat about their theme park ride Splash Mountain. And now you might be like, well why are you guys wading into theme parks? But <laughs> it's actually based on an older Disney movie. Um, it's based on an excerpt from the movie, The Song of the South. And now Disney has buried this movie. Bob Iger had said during his tenure that like this movie will never see the light of day. They're bur- burying it because of the racial, racial depictions in the movie. The movie itself is based on the collection of Uncle Remus stories. And the film takes place in the Southern United States during the Reconstruction Era period of time in American history after the Civil War and abolition of slavery. The story itself follows a seven-year-old white boy who's visiting his grandmother's plantation for an extended summer vacation. Johnny becomes friends with Uncle Remus, who's one of the workers on the plantation. Essentially, if you know anything about Reconstruction, South found ways to kind of keep freed slaves as essentially still slaves just mm. by you know, the way that they repurposed the land and things like that. So they were, they were workers, but they were kind of no, no, no different from where they were prior to emancipation. And essentially, Johnny befriends Uncle Remus, and he, they, he shares stories. Um, the stories mainly are about Br'er Rabbit and his adventures uh, with Br'er Fox and Br'er Bear. And all of this, Johnny learns uh, from these stories about how to cope with the challenges he experiences while living on the plantation. So... (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh.
1: Right. So the, the framework for this is not great. I mean, at all. Like Disney has, this has been wiped. This is nothing new. Disney has buried this for a long time.
0: This isn't one that gets a little disclaimer at the front.
1: Right. This one's, this one's gone. (laughs) Yeah. And they firm, you know, they have firmly stood by that. They're like, no, no, no. This is where the song Zippity Doodah comes from this movie. Um, And this is the theme that plays throughout Splash Mountain.
0: Oh, okay. All right. I'm with you now. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. So as an avid Disney park goer, I would have been hard pressed to ever know that that ride, the, the storyline of that ride was sourced from this movie. There's nothing mm. within that ride that I have ever seen that would be a call out, right? It is about the rabbit and all the critters that live in Slash Mountain and people are calling attention now, to it now, right? And so the argument comes down on two sides. It's like, well, if, unless you're calling attention to it, no one ever really knows it's tangentially yes it's sourced from this terrible movie but the ride itself is not related to the framework which is accepted to be the really terrible part of this movie
0: Oh that is so interesting. I don't I don't want to cut you off, but it does yeah, no. this has been this has been and and we're not going to get into this, but this has been the conversation between my wife and I, which I think is such such a good question. But it is that idea, right, about yes, we need to know about these things, but at the same time is teaching these things, right? Like right now my son doesn't think anything of someone's race or color. Now right. he's also in a mixed race home, but you know it, that doesn't even cross his mind. But again, it's it's sort of this idea of if you draw attention to it, are you not propagating the problem, also? And right. it's a good question, and it's not one that we need to get into. It. It's not even one that we want to discuss through the through the folds of this podcast. Right. But I say that because of it, it. It's a great question here. I do also see the other side, though. It's 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 a really interesting situation.
1: I, I mean, there's there's kind of there's history here for Disney. I mean, they've done this with some of their rides. Like there was some depictions in the original Pirates of the Caribbean that were extremely sexist. There was mm-hmm. like the, the wench auction and they retooled that. And that changed to like a goat auction or something. It was like livestock auction or something. Um, you know, so there, there is, there is precedent for Disney kind of coming at this, these, these topics. They've been quiet on this is people have thrown out their other ideas. Like, Oh, we could re it to be princess and the frog. Like it's not that hard it's a water ride and we can use some of the elements but then there's a side of people saying like isn't that like an overcompensation and some people don't like the depictions in that movie so you know it, there's yeah. there's a lot of rock and a hard place discussions sure. I, I think you know and, and again as people discuss these things new things are going to come to light um, and and w- these discussions are have to be had. Again, I'll be bummed. I love this ride. I think it's it's super fun and it's catchy and the song gets stuck in my head. But if somebody says that it hurts them, I'm not the one to say it doesn't. You, everybody's feelings are valid, right? To a right. point. So it's just an interesting discussion.
0: It's not an easy thing, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what's important to remember here is that it's not easy for anybody. And, yeah. and this is... These are unfortunately new waters that we're all treading through. Like these are yeah. these are things we should have navigated by now and yep. we haven't. But these things take understanding and patience and, and as long as there is open dialogue, I think that's what's key. This is something I never would have even known. I didn't know anything about this. I, yes. I, I barely know the ride. I certainly don't know the movie. So it's, you know, it, this is, it's great. You know, it's yes. it's great that now this is coming to light and, and yeah. people can kind of understand it. Maybe that helps inform some decisions. All that being said, right? if it's not systemic racism, it's coronavirus. And (laughs) coronavirus has also made the Hollywood news, as it were. Um, We talked a bit about this during Parasite, actually, kind of talking about how the Academy Awards does its thing and and the requirements Mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff, how how films are selected or, or rather how they're made eligible for selection in the Academy Awards season and shortly thereafter the academy announced that the oscars have been officially postponed until april 25th which you know i gotta assume it gives films more time as productions ramp up to actually hit theaters and 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 have some sort of theater season that they can meet the requirements i would i would assume yeah otherwise like i guess i can't help but say you know, yeah, you're postponing it, but that means you're also still encouraging things to come out. And and I understand that is the goal is for us to get back to life as normal, but I don't feel like we're there yet. So why not? Why not encourage companies and, and production studios to keep releasing things for home viewing and just lift the restrictions on four walling and all this other kind of stuff and make, yes. you know, films eligible for consideration? It doesn't mean you have to select every film. But yeah. let's not force all of us to go back to the theaters or whatever it is. And, and But more importantly, let's not force productions to, to start up so soon.
1: Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think we're seeing this in a lot of entertainment aspects uh, across the board, whether it's it's movies or Broadway or even sports. And I think the more that people are trying to force things, the worse everyone involved is looking. I mean, if you look at Major League Baseball and their Players Association keep trying to figure out how to do a season, and it's just a war of words and mudslinging in the papers at a time where people shouldn't be concerned about that stuff. And they, you know, get to a point and people have been working out at spring training complexes, and now they're all shut down again because a bunch of staff members on various teams tested positive. So, it now is not the time to be trying to force a return to normal. And I'm getting really tired of people saying, well, when things are back to normal, things are not going to be normal. Like there's, there's a long time. Yeah. I mean, this is the things, this is a drastic, yeah, this is a drastic change. So by, you know, by saying, Oh, we'll postpone it to the 25th. That gives us more time for things to resume two months. It's like 60 days. Yeah. Just, just, go whole hog and shake it all up and let's see what comes out of it rather than clinging to this idea that, Oh, in 60 more days. Things will be better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It just, we'll talk about a bunch of old folks stuck in their ways. You know what I mean? (laughs) Welcome to the Academy. (laughs) Um, well, and what's interesting, too, is so besides the Oscars being so I will say this. The one good thing, though, is February is still a little bit too close to holiday season for me to, like, yeah. justify taking Monday off so I can really <laughs> sink deep into award season. But maybe now I can, right? Yeah, um. But and so, you know, this is just one way that this has been affected. We've talked about a lot of the impacts of COVID on the entertainment industry and primarily Kind of what this this shift in schedule is addressing for the academy is how pretty soon here we're going to enter this contentless limbo, um, yeah. while we wait for it to be safe enough for productions to resume and new content to be made available to yep. all of us. Eager viewers who are very quickly running out of shows to binge, right? Um, but you know, again, we have to weigh importance here. Um, there's a, there's such a back catalog of of content dating back to 19 that uh, that we should be pretty good. But <laughs> you know, but that being said, what are people supposed to do? And by people, I mean television networks right? They're now entering a summer season devoid of content. And what's interesting is that in the past week, we got a huge announcement from the CW of how they're going to handle it, which is that if you can't make it yourself, import it, right? Which is really fascinating. Uh, The CW announced the acquisition of several hit series from the UK, including Killer Camp, Dead Pixels, And the one that I am absolutely ecstatic about, which is a show called Taskmaster. If you have never heard of Taskmaster, I strongly recommend that you check out their YouTube channel. They have full episodes available. It is a British game show, and it's Phenomenal. Greg Davies is the host. Alex Horn is actually the show's creator, showrunner, but he plays sort of this like little minion sidekick character to Greg Davies. Greg Davies is the Taskmaster, and they basically get a panel of comedians, and over the course of several weeks, they have them come to the Taskmaster house and compete in a series of random tasks. Sometimes in a team, but mostly individuals, and they are random things right like you know get this ball through this hoop without touching anything or you know whoever makes his stone travel the furthest in 20 minutes is the winner and and that kind of stuff so these people do these tasks and then they come together for the episodes and sit on this panel in front of Greg Davies and they watch back the video footage of them doing it and then Greg Davies passes judgment and each episode has a winner and then the series as a whole has a winner and then the whatever the series Winners wins like a gold bust of Greg Davies' head. And it's hilarious. The show is phenomenal. It's so, so good. Again, please go to YouTube. Type in Taskmaster and watch it. Here's the thing. So this show has been on in the UK for a long time. I believe they're on like season 10, if not 12. It's been on for a while. In 2018, Comedy Central actually acquired the rights to create the US version of this show where uh, Alex Horn, creator slash sidekick, still stayed on in his role. However, Greg Davies was replaced by Reggie Watts, who you may know from, he's obviously, he's a comedian, but he's also Mm -hmm. on uh, the James Corden show. And the contestants were primarily uh, American comedians. Like I think Lisa Lampanelli was one of them, stuff like that. Now the problem is that as we do with so many shows that we try to remake in our own image, we ruined it and the US series (laughs) only lasted one season and it was pretty garbage. The thing that's different this time is that the CW has not acquired rights to recreate the show, they've acquired broadcast rights. So they're gonna be airing the actual UK show Greg (laughs) glorious Greg Davies and all I I think this is personal I don't know I think this is a brilliant approach to the situation you know the summer slate for television is normally a bit of a throwaway as it is most networks right like most networks are airing half seasons of shows it's all syndicated stuff you know they don't rake in a ton of ad dollars you know like you know televisions obviously has its own season like we talked a little bit a previous episode about how the film season runs and then Mm -hmm. there's sort of this dead time in the new year as you know through the award season and it's the same for television right obviously the fall shows are the big money makers but it's a genius way to keep folks tuning in while you do try to catch up and salvage some sort of a fall premiere schedule down the road you know, it's it's unknown which season will air of Taskmaster. This is new to us. Yeah. And, right. and it probably costs very little. It's an old series, you know, and if it hits, awesome. And if it doesn't, nothing lost. We weren't going to get anything anyway. Price, right. Right. So why not expose people to this gem that's sitting over there? Uh, and I don't know, maybe they'll love it. It's set to air Sunday, August 2nd at 8 p.m., I couldn't be more excited. I didn't even take a breath, Tim. I'm so no, stoked for this.
1: That's awesome. I mean, like you said, we, we get really have nothing to lose. I mean, right. Right. I'm gonna go check it out uh, this afternoon, actually, or this evening. But it actually, <laughs> <laughs> what time of day is this?
0: Just one um, of them days.
1: Right. Uh, but I'm gonna check that it out tonight. That goes uh, through. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm gonna check it out tonight, though. I think. Um, oh, I would gonna, love gonna,
0: to hear what you think.
1: Yeah, as you're telling me about this, though. Uh, it actually reminds me of something that I've done once or twice with with friends when we've been bored. Um, you know, back when I had friends and we could do things together, and you know. <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> but like, I don't know if you've ever done anything like this, where we're like, "Oh, let's all we we have an hour in the dollar store, and everyone grabs supplies to make X, you know, whatever it is, and then." you have an hour to build it and then whoever works the best whatever that thing you decide is that you're building and i've had a lot of fun doing Tim, stuff like that
0: you're like you're just a better person than me <laughs> you you create things you and your <laughs> friends are like you have an hour to build something that works like that was the other thing it wasn't like you have an hour to build uh, I don't know a teddy bear sled it's like no this is clearly some contraption that has to accomplish some
1: feat. Uh, let me let me uh, I'll be a little clearer about this and I apologize this was you know years ago in a misdirected youth but uh, we may or may not have been trying to make smoking devices um. Ah,
0: see, <laughs> so, no, me and my friends it was more like you have 20 minutes to try to hide this bag of poop somewhere uh, and the first person that doesn't get caught wins
1: so no, this sounds really interesting because I feel like uh, this is definitely you know along those lines of, of something that I've done before. So I, I definitely want to check it out. Oh, this show so. is fantastic!
0: I'd be down. my sister. She mocks me uh, just incessantly about the fact that I'm obsessed with British television. Really, I'm obsessed with British game shows and talk shows. The Graham Norton show is like the greatest talk show on earth. But this is I don't know, man. There's something special about this show. It's fan- even excited. if you don't know who the people are, it's it's just the act of them doing it, the personalities, and that's what you lost in the U.S. remake, you know. Yeah. Like it's sure. it's I don't know. There's some there's magic in this, and and it's uh I, I'm I hope it works. I hope it works, and I hope it airs forever here. Yeah,
1: I'm excited. Sort of along those lines, uh, I think a hidden gem. That I'm sort of excited about because this is something I was really intrigued by, had no knowledge of, um, wouldn't necessarily go see this on Broadway. But if it's going to be streamed to me, I'm really excited about. (laughs) Um, But HBO has acquired the rights um, to David Byrne's American Utopia. And American Utopia is a Broadway musical slash performance that David Byrne of Talking Heads fame, the lead singer of the Talking Heads, Put together based on music from his solo career, some hits from the Talking Heads days, uh, as well as it's like named after an album that he put out uh, sometime in the last two years. And the Broadway show closed its run in February, but it was it was like focused around David Byrne and a bunch of these other musicians. And they were like, they're all multi-instrumentational Instrumental. <laughs> they all play multiple. Multi, Tim, <laughs> I believe the word
0: you're looking for is multi-noise makery.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, and so they all fill in on different things. Um, and they have these really cool, kind of jazzed-up versions of different songs. You know, if you're familiar with any of the Talking Heads hits, you'll definitely hear them here. The I can't. I, I first heard about this. Uh, they did two songs on an episode of SNL prior to the COVID shutdown. The company came in and they did two. They were the musical guest, um, and they did two um, two songs. I'm not a huge Talking Heads fan, but there was just something about this that was super cool. It was really minimalist. It was just a black box stage. David Byrne and these other musicians. They all wore like the same costume, it was like a gray suit, and they just played the music. And there was like some dancing elements too it like kind of kind of like almost like a marching band-esque kind of setup because they're all playing their instruments but they're also all moving around and there's like dance, interpretive dance, and they all take turns dancing. Um it's super cool. Spike mm. Lee's gonna direct it. Um so he's gonna direct this this video version. They're hoping to release it later this year. They didn't say specifically if this is gonna be like part of their their new subscription service or if this is just something they're gonna release on regular HBO. Um, uh, definitely check it out T- check out the the clips on youtube if you want to get a feel for this i think the snl clips were taken down at some point the last time i tried to look for them the songs are super catchy so i was listening to them for a couple weeks after watching this on snl um But again, it's something like I I don't I wouldn't pay Broadway prices to go see it because I'm not that super into it. But if it's going to be free to stream on HBO, I think it would be super cool to watch. Um, And again, you got nothing to lose. I mean, see what Spike Lee has to do with it. But it was just something super cool, super interesting. So I was kind of stoked to see that uh, HBO acquired the rights to to make a filmed adaptation version of it.
0: I dig it. All right, folks. So I think that kind of wraps up the news of the past two weeks. Told you a lot happened. And this isn't even all of it but certainly the biggest, uh, the news-heavy episode that we've had. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so with that, we do have an era and a mission. So in our last Rewind episode, we were talking about the Sherman Brothers and the documentary The Boys, streaming on Disney+, Plus, which chronicles their lives and careers, right? The lives and careers of the Sherman mm-hmm. Brothers. Yeah. Now, in that segment, we spoke about Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and said it was produced by the guy who also did James Bond, Albert Broccoli. <laughs> well, to be fair, I said his name was Albert. Tim thought it was Bob Broccoli. Anyway. <laughs> to be fair, his daughter's
1: name was Barbara Broccoli. I
0: know that for certain. So. <laughs> okay, so the point we were trying to get across was that Albert Broccoli produced Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and would also go on to produce several Bond films. However, it seems that some folks may have gotten the impression that it was Albert Broccoli who created James Bond, which of course is incorrect. James Bond was created and written by Ian Fleming now that being said a fun fact that we didn't mention in that last episode is that Ian Fleming did also write the children's story Chitty Chitty Bang Bang on which the film is obviously based so there you have it folks Um, I just wanted to get it cleared up Ian Fleming wrote James Bond and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and Albert Broccoli produced the films so just to clarify that not Bob Broccoli, and Bob Broccoli didn't create James Bond. (laughs) It was Albert Broccoli produced and Ian Fleming written.
1: Uh, I just still love that the guy's last name was Broccoli. I mean, that's
0: just amazing. Bob Broccoli. (laughs) So good. Okay, so that's it for errors and omissions, which means we can jump right in. Guys, I, I think we can do it. I think yeah. we can do it. We will uh, We'll. T- we'll tear through some of these here. Um, but it is time for what are you watching forward slash backslash what do you recommend hyphen or don't recommend colon yeah. this week. Yep. Tim, let's start with you, man. What are you watching?
1: Yeah, I, I kind of ran through some comfort food this week. I'm not really going to talk at length about those. There's two things that I – three things I want to mention more in depth. Um, ran, ran through just a couple of – things i just felt the need to watch uh i watched yellow submarine for the first time in a long time Mm. um just stuck that on uh that movie still blows my mind i watched it way too young of an age um, and it still just blows my mind we watched mary poppins i felt just like i needed to get some of that sherman brothers goodness in all its glory um so we watched that on friday and last night we watched pocahontas again just kind of feeling like i wanted to get into some of that um that disney love i had a hard time with pocahontas so we can (laughs) I just, it's been a long time since I've seen it. And now that that. I'm more educated in my worldliness since I probably haven't seen it since I was a kid, I I struggled with it.
0: Yeah. Um, Any racial depictions aside, like in reality, Pocahontas is like 12 or 13 Yeah, or maybe even young. I think younger because 13 wouldn't be outlandish back in, you know, like 16 or whatever. But yeah, she was a small child when John Smith came.
1: It just, uh, I just, I could not get that out of my head. So (laughs) Well, and it was Mil- Mel Gibson did the voice. It was and Mel was Gibson. Just like, oh, there's just a lot going on here that I'm just not comfortable with anymore. But uh, <laughs> it, it was more of like we just wanted to hang out. I really didn't want to watch anything intently, so it's just you know putting that stuff on in the background felt kind of kind of nice. Uh, but what it really did get into was uh, in light of our uh, parasite episode, I jumped into Snowpiercer.
0: Oh, um, nice.
1: Yeah, I so after thoroughly enjoying Parasite, um, and even enjoying it more on the second, you know, on the second watch when I was like more entrenched in what that movie really was, mm-hmm. um, I, I was like, well, let me go check out some of his earlier stuff. Snowpiercer, I think it's on Hulu. Uh, no, I think it's on Netflix.
0: Netflix, right yeah, Netflix.
1: Holy hell, that movie is just pure nuts, dude.
0: It's wild, right?
1: Uh, yeah, for all of the subtlety that was used to make Parasite. Bong just literally punches you in the face in this one. There is nothing subtle about about this movie. Like, right. it is, from the beginning, you're like, oh, I know where this movie is going, and this movie is... Uh, I mean, it was brutal, it was shocking, and it was just purely in your face. Like, it was just nuts.
0: And it's um, a wild cast. I mean, oh, yeah. it's Chris, uh, Chris Evans, Tilda Swinton. There's, there's a lot of... Uh, J- Jamie uh, Bell... It- Ed Harris. Ed um, Harris, yes.
1: And uh, oh, uh, now I'm forgetting her name um, from The Help. And uh, oh,
0: Octavia Spencer.
1: Octavia Spencer, yeah, yeah. And then, and, and
0: obviously, uh, the guy who plays Mr. Kim in. Yeah,
1: and uh, John Hurt as well the movie was uh, i mean it really actually reminded me of a video game series that i used to play called bioshock um just it, there's, yeah yeah I, I, it's just something in that like underground utopian sort of like uh, it was I, it was nuts <laughs> i mean i don't think the ending is as shocking as parasite again right. because there's just there's really no subtlety in it and if you pay attention you see it all coming you know we we talk all the time about show me the ending there's a whole scene in the middle where they stop to eat some sushi and you're just like oh wait a minute yeah okay yeah. that was a pretty a pretty heavy-handed metaphor here that you just whacked us in the face with um so it was nothing super surprising i mean it has some really gut-wrenching moments um and it's like i said brutal but it's it's a fun ride i mean uh you, pun intended i guess but because you're on a train <laughs> um I, but it's just a fascinating setting um i have so many questions about the train everybody lives on a train okay so the, the yeah, world has the... essentially ended right and everyone's living on this train and it, there's a class system on this train that is sort of a carryover from the way the world was when the world was ending um the setup for this apocalyptic scenario is actually fairly believable and i can see this happening uh for sure where the governments of the world decide to release this chemical into the air that slows global warming and instead it just plunges the world into like nuclear winter essentially like into an ice age um and the last of humanity is on this train that's just traveling around the world for the rest of forever essentially um it's just it's it's nuts (laughs) it really is um i I definitely parasite such a better movie but if you want to check it out check it out free on netflix if you liked parasite you know the commentary social commentary is there i'll bet in a much more heavy-handed and again brutal way but it was a it was a fun watch and i guess really reminds me of a video game playthrough it just has some has some elements like that like each train car being a different level and um
0: Hmm. there's lots of boss fights Yeah,
1: there really are a lot of boss fights. Um, Some really interesting scenes that are really unnerving. Uh, There's a scene where they get to i guess the school car and you have this like beautiful young Dude, teacher who is
0: wild
1: it is nuts they're like she is teaching the kids but essentially this train has become a cult and everybody worships the the guy who invented this train who we are led to believe is is piloting this train around the world and they worship him very much what i would imagine school is like in uh in North Korea, <laughs> like, you know, all hail the the great uh, and powerful operator, the uh, conductor of this train. It's very much ritualized in, in that way. But that scene is just in stark contrast to a lot of the movie leading up to that point. And it is just, it's, it's nuts. It's bonkers.
0: Well, and it's awesome. We, we talked in Parasite about how he calls it his stairway movie, but he called this one his hallway movie.
1: Yeah. And it's
0: true. I mean, it all happens essentially in a tube. And it's yeah. it's awesome. I mean, it's fun. I think you I think you nailed it. It's fun. Yeah. It's it's a little different, probably than something you have maybe seen before, but definitely not nearly Parasite, obviously. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. What did uh, so? What did you think if you were gonna rate it?
1: Maybe six or seven. I oh wow! Say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, I just I think if I wanted to get more into the story and really go critical on it, I just especially coming off of Parasite, I just it is. It is not even within the same realm of the movie. And now this makes me really want to go back and watch Oakja as well because I feel like these I'm are in three the same boat. Very separate, very different movies. Yeah, so. I
0: mean, I haven't seen Oakja yet, and and I agree with you. This these and just to sort of clarify the what you're watching now section and, and sort of the recommendations. This is not meant to be like a critical yeah. view on these things. This is exactly what it is. It's like we liked it. We thought it was fun. It was what it was, and and. You know, if you're looking for something to kill a little time, yeah, I, I totally. agree this, this movie will kill some time and you yeah, won't be absolutely. mad about it. No, no. What um, else were you I watching? Really it.
1: So the other thing I watched and I'll recommend this if you are really maybe a hardcore Beatles fan, but I'll have to recommend it in the vein that it's probably going to upset you. <laughs> but I finally got around to watching it yesterday. Danny Boyle's yesterday. Um, It really intrigued me when it first came out um that i was like oh this is really interesting essentially the plot is this guy is a struggling musician he's written a couple of his own songs he plays around pubs in england he's an indian uh, Indian actor and he's got his close group of friends that come to the pub to see him play he's played for some birthdays he's played at like off 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 festival stages like you know the tent where you get some water (laughs) is essentially where he's played at some festivals right and one night he's coming home and the world experiences a massive blackout it's a worldwide blackout and as this happens he gets hit by a bus when he wakes up his friends are so happy to see him and he he comes out of this like slight coma and they give him a brand new guitar because his guitar was run over and they ask him to play something and he says oh well a a guitar this pretty i should play a beautiful song so he starts to play the beatles here comes the sun they have never heard this song before and he's like he thinks that they're giving him a hard time like oh you've heard of the beatles they're like the who and he goes home and he starts looking up on the internet and every time he types in the beatles it's just pictures of bugs and so he's like (laughs) you know types of like paul mccartney or john paul george and just a picture of you know pope john paul ii comes up and like all so he's like starting to kind of freak out because like you know there's nobody there's no record of the beatles anywhere he looks up the rolling stones they still exist um he looks up a couple other bands they still exist then he looks up oasis and oasis doesn't exist so long story short he goes on to try and remember and memorize as many Beatles songs as he can uh, to get them down on paper. He ends up using this to get himself some stardom. Ed Sheeran finds out about him and kind of picks him up and he gets signed by Ed Sheeran's manager, who is played by Kate McKinnon. And he struggles with this idea a little bit as, you know, and different things in the movie clue him into songs that he'd forgotten. People say a throwaway line here or there. Um, So it's kind of interesting. That stuff's kind of fun. It's, uh, really nice to hear him his take on the songs, like the way that they form uh, play them for the movie. There's some jokes. Ed Sheeran thinks that Hey Jude should be re-recorded as Hey Dude, um, and <laughs> you know there's there's some easy stuff there. He really starts to struggle with this idea that he's profiting off of this, and there's some things that start to lead him to believe that other people have remembered the Beatles. It was really cute up until this point. At this point, he goes and seeks out John Lennon who happens to still be alive. He's in his 80s. He's living in a seaside shack. He looks like an old captain um, doing some art and making wood carvings. And at this point is where it lost me. I was like, wait a minute. We've never really explained why this guy wakes up and nobody remembers this pop cultural phenomenon. But somehow this worldwide blackout also reset the course of time where like, not only did the Beatles never exist, but their lives were different and John Lennon is still alive and, and there's just this guy in really bad prosthetics that's supposed to look like a really old John Lennon and <laughs> I just was like, there are two living Beatles that it would have made more sense for you to like, play this part of the story off on. Not that I'm saying Paul McCartney or Ringo Starr would have been in this part of the movie, but it just, that's where it lost me. He eventually meets two people that remember the Beatles and they're just happy that he's recording this music. Anyway, he has this huge, long concert at the end that's supposed to mimic the Beatles' final rooftop concert, and he comes clean, and he says, Hey, uh, I I didn't write these songs, the Beatles did. And everybody just goes, Okay. <laughs> and he's he's no longer famous, and he goes back to his life with, uh, this girl who is his manager who ends up being the love of his life and he plays these songs for kids in schools and his fame is just over and people are cool with it. And he and The big stick is that he released the music for free online instead of putting the album out. The record label was pumping this as the greatest record ever recorded because it was. It was like all the Beatles hits. Mm. And he's just like, no, up yours and releases everything for free and goes back to living his life in normalcy. And it was just like, all right. Bob. And the last big joke is he's like, oh, I feel like Harry Potter after he defeated Dumbledore after he defeated Voldemort and the Deathly Hallows. And his girlfriend goes, Harry who? Awesome. And he's just like, okay, no, but so- roll
0: credits. I'm about to be famous <laughs>
1: right, again for something <laughs> else I didn't do. Um, and he's like, ah, oh, no, forget it. Um, I, to a point I, when it got to this John Lennon thing, I was just like, nope, I'm done. I'm out. Yeah. Um, Other than that, it was it was cute. Um, I told my mom to watch it simply for the music. I think the idea is interesting. And my wife and I have talked about it at length. If the Beatles were to come out today, would their music still be popular? I don't know, you know, that's such a music today is so different. um, And the subject matter of music is so different. And rock bands are not a big thing right now you know it's, right. it's all about groups and solo artists and so i don't know i think that's an interesting thought exercise within this movie but it also i don't think it takes it far enough i mean ed sheeran i think himself has spoken to the beatles impact on his career so how can you say there's no oasis if there's no beatles when i don't think there'd even be an ed sheeran right like there's mm-hmm. just i think that the impact of erasing the beatles from the world is a lot more uh, far-reaching than this movie really intended to be. If you want to watch something light and fun with good music in it, go ahead. Um, but you're not missing anything.
0: Okay, okay. Yeah, that was going to be my question. I couldn't quite tell if this was a recommend for something breezy or if it was a, eh, not really. I just,
1: like, if it hadn't gotten to this the ending part with this John Lennon thing, maybe, because um, it was enjoyable to a point. But sure. I, just the premise, like, you really have to just suspension of disbelief on that one for sure so um and other than that the last thing i just want to touch on briefly is uh, i did watch a couple episodes of reunited apart the back to the future episode and the ghostbusters episode of course i watched if you've been following some of our posts i had to watch that one i don't think the ghostbusters one was as fun as the back to the future one and maybe uh from what i've heard from you frank not as life-changing as the lord of the rings one Um, but it was still interesting to see everybody get together. I think the best part of the Ghostbusters one was that Bill Murray seemed to have a real appreciation for everybody in this movie. I was expecting more like Bill Murray. He's been doing some weird stuff on some shows lately. Like he was on Jimmy Fallon and wearing a panda head. He did a Jimmy Kimmel interview from his bathtub, you know, just doing the Bill Murray thing. And he was really into this one. He was telling stories and, and, had a much stronger memory of this movie than a lot of people did. And it just seemed like he was really having a good time with it, which was, which was fun. So definitely if you've watched any of the other ones, definitely check it out. Um, I think the last one is coming out this week and they are doing Ferris Bueller's day off. So, um, like to see what that one's all about, but I think that is what Josh Gad said will be the final episode. So,
0: sad days ahead um yeah. so uh, real quick just to sort of summarize so Snor- Snowpiercer snow on netflix yesterday yep. w- was that a rental was that a-
1: uh on xfinity on demand that's how I.
0: xfinity yeah. on demand but it was free on yeah. xfinity on demand
1: yeah so if you have xfinity tv and you have their on-demand stuff you can either get it through your cable box or through their um, their app
0: very nice. And then uh, we've talked before about Reunited Apart being on YouTube. Um, yep. I'm also going to, before I get into my reviews, what I'm going to do this week is uh, there'll be a post on Instagram that you know has each of the shows that we talked about, the what we're watching now section, and where you can watch it, the title, all that kind of stuff. If it's a rental, cool. if it's for free, whatever the deal is. So all that information will be there. You just sort of swipe on through those pictures and you'll be able to see everything that we were talking about today. Wow. So no need to jot anything down, just hop over to Instagram. Okay, I'm gonna try to burn through these as quick as possible. I watched two, I mean, you know, I watched other things like you, Tim. There's some things you just kind of fill the time with, right? So I've been, my wife and I are still working our way through New Girl. Oh my (laughs) God. And, uh, you know, I picked up 30 Rock again and a few other things that just just make me happy. However, I did watch two things and I wanted to try to watch some original series this week. Uh, The first one I watched was Love Wedding Repeat, which is a uh, Netflix original film obviously on netflix mm-hmm. so this one okay this is the story and, and you may recognize the lead it's sam claflin who played finnick in the hunger games oh yeah okay. right so if you remember that he's also, he's been in another couple things i think uh there was a movie with amelia clark he was in about you maybe something like that i, I don't remember mm, yeah um, okay. anyways so any so he's he's the lead guy uh he plays the brother of this uh of his sister <laughs> um, who's getting married <laughs> Now, he has this sort of meet-cute moment at the very beginning of the film with Olivia Munn's character. She's visiting from the U.S., uh, Who she's friends with his sister, and they have this amazing date that you don't really see. You can, You come in on the tail end of this date, and then the world falls apart, everything is kind of going wrong, and they don't really get to sort of finalize the date right like and by that I just mean like there's like there's obviously a connection you know but he gets pulled away um he doesn't really like kind of stand up to for himself to kind of get her number or you know kiss her or whatever to sort of seal the deal and be like there's a connection here it's you and me Years and years and years go by, his sister's getting married, and she comes to the wedding. And, and and then this is when, like, sort of a whole cast of characters are introduced. There's an ex-boyfriend of the sister who comes to the wedding, and the sister asks him to keep him tied up and away from the situation so he doesn't spoil the wedding, um, and to actually, like, put some sleeping medicine into his drink. And the rest of the film basically lays out sort of how many possible scenarios could play out. In the sense that he puts the sleeping medicine in one of the drinks at the table, but some kids come over and mix the cards around, or or people sit where they're not supposed to, or X, Y, and Z, so essentially this one action sort of rippling out to all these different probabilities of if this person drinks the cup versus this person versus this person, whatever the situation is. And then it kind of follows those storylines, and, and essentially the whole idea is, do him and Olivia Munn get together or not? Um, and different tangents take you different places. So okay. that's kind of the gist of what this movie is. It was written and directed by Dean Craig. Um, and and we are, I talked about how it stars Sam Claflin, Olivia Munn. Uh, Ashling B is in it, she's an Irish actor slash comedian. Um, she's amazing, I'm obsessed with her. And then Eleanor Tomlinson plays the sister. Uh, I mentioned Dean Craig because I was so excited for this one because Dean Craig also wrote and directed one of my all-time favorite comedies, Death at a Funeral, which was a film from the UK starring Matthew McFadden, Keely Hawes, Alan Tudyk, and Peter Dinklage. Honestly, if you've never seen the movie Death at a Funeral from 2007, yep. it is a huge recommendation from me. Absolutely. This You've seen it? Oh yeah, it's great. Dude, this movie kills me. I watch this movie quarterly. Like, absolutely I do. Now, to be fair, he did also write and direct the 2010 American remake starring Chris Rock, uh, which was absolutely god-awful. So maybe I should have entered this one with a little (laughs) bit more trepidation. This movie, going back to Love, Wedding, Repeat, this movie had all the pieces, right? You know, even the lesser known actors were decent. I already mentioned my love for Craig's other work. Um, I am obsessed with Ashling B, as I mentioned. I think she's absolutely incredible actress, not just comedic, but I think she's super underrated. Um, One of my favorite shows that she's in is another British series called Delivery Man which was awesome, somehow only made it one season, but whatever, I digress. Hey, But you, what you may recognize Aisling B. from is her Netflix series Living With Yourself, where she plays the wife of Paul Rudd's character, her name's Katie in it. Anyways, that's a really good show too. Even with all this, all the pieces, right? The writer, the director, seemingly interesting storyline. Um, yeah. I was even excited to see Finnick. I hadn't seen him in anything else really since Mm -hmm. Hunger Games. So, you know, it's all there, but in the end, it just falls completely flat. This movie was never really funny worse than space force like nothing really lands the characters are all bland and this story which really could have been funny and exciting and heartwarming like in the vein of clue right where you have all these various endings or scenarios Or, or groundhog day like the way groundhog day sort of dives into sort of the the real heart of having to relive this day over and over. He's not reliving the day, but like this scenario is playing out in all these different ways. Like They really could have gone a lot of really cool places with this, but it just ends up being really poorly executed and boring. So anyways, this was one of those that just really gut punched me and disappointed me, and I was super excited about it. So I wanted to talk about it simply because if you see it on there and it seems interesting, because truthfully, it really does, and it seems really funny in the trailer, it isn't. I would not recommend this one. So I, I wanted to talk about it because this would be a film I would urge you to steer away from and just watch something else. It's, it's just, it's not that great. I give it, I don't know, I, I would give it a two, maybe. Ooh. Because I do think there are some there are some moments that are sort of sweet and nice. Ashling B's character is really cute and she has this little side story with the best friend, this unrequited love that becomes requited, whatever. It's, it's sweet and, and there's a few nice moments. But uh, as a whole, it's it's kind of crappy. We're just
1: we're striking out with like pedigree things recently. Like these pedigree shows, like Space Force, are just letting us down.
0: I know. Well, you know, and I wonder too. I mean, these things do also bring with it expectations right like you're not kind of coming into this saying oh like you recognize somebody oh i love them or this was written by who i love that movie love wedding repeat is not death at a funeral so you know and that's and that's why you kind of you really should try not to do that but it's you can't help it you know so you bring your own bias in now that being said, I also watched Love Life on HBO Max. I really wanted to give this one a shot. It's one of the very few original series HBO Max has right now. And and, and I wanted to watch it because, to be honest with you, I'm not sold on HBO Max. I mm. don't, you know, like it's. I don't understand it. I don't understand why it's there right now. I feel like they launched it for the sake of launching it. It's a little bit all over the place. They say they have DC stuff, but they don't have everything but yet you're owned by Warner Brothers so why don't you have everything yes. there's just there's a lot of questions around it you know yes fresh prince is on there and and friends and this kind of stuff but you know is friends going to be there forever you know when peacock comes out and NBC gets their license back like why does HBO have it it's just there's no cohesion to it and it's not fully formed yet and mm. if it wasn't for the fact that it was on sale, I probably wouldn't have signed up for it anyway. All that being said, this starring Anna Kendrick as Darby Carter immediately grabs my attention because again, I love me some Anna Kendrick. I think she's great. Yeah. This is probably one of the better shows I've seen in a long time. Wow. Um, The show follows Darby Carter and it it basically follows her through several years of her of her life of her like early to mid 20s into her 30s as she essentially lives out her love life and 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 at first it's it's pretty obvious it's sort of the search for the right guy and 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 you know your traditional you know love relationship but it also takes these strolls down other types of love you know the love of family or friends or you know just all these different things it is fascinating it's so well done the show itself is created by Sam Boyd already said it stars Anna Kendrick this is Sam Boyd's first major project. He he wrote a few shorts and an episode here or there of another series. But otherwise, this is his real first at bat as a showrunner and creator. Um, the show is co-run by Bridget Bedard, who is a very accomplished producer and writer. And she's worked on things like Transparent and The Night Shift and 1600 Pen Men of a Certain Age. right? So I imagine they brought her in to sort of steer the ship a little bit for the, yes. the budding guy with the good idea. Sure. Um it's already been renewed for a season 2 which is, is is a testament to how good this show is. I mean, I guess not really. People renew stuff for nothing. But it is it is well deserved. Um my concern is this. The show is so fantastic and it's all it's all encompassing, right? The story begins and it ends with Darby and if you just get one season it's perfect. It's really perfect. It's so it's really funny and it's also really deep. And and it it hits so many notes as you watch this. And and it's so freaking relatable, dude. Like it is I remember I watched the first two episodes with my wife. And every situation Hit so hard because you've been in that exact situation.
1: Interesting. The
0: understanding of relationships of all kinds of relationships, the understanding of that that goes into and the care that goes into the writing of this, it is. It's funny because you've lived that, and it's heartbreaking because you've lived that. And it and the way that Anna Kendrick brings that to life. Along with you know her supporting cast, but like, but truly, you feel like this was legitly plucked from your own life experience and put on film, and it's it's amazing. It's amazing. I've, I've honestly I've never seen anything like it. Um, huh. So season two, they've decided that it's gonna run like an anthology. So season two will follow a new character. It'll be a new story. I, I think I read somewhere that it's gonna be. You know, someone who marries the love of their life, their soulmate, but then realizes years and years and years into the marriage that it's not the right person. And then so how they navigate that and, and what that kind of means for them. So, you know, again, that doesn't really hit as hard for me. That's not my situation, um, you know, at the moment. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> it's, uh, you know, but uh, you know, I, I don't know. Like there's just something about when you strike lightning in a bottle like this. Yeah. That you almost just want it to go out on top and not risk season two just not being as good. Um, but at the same time, I understand when you strike lightning like this, even I think the hope is, even if you catch a little glimmer of what you got the first time, it's still going to be a lot better than a lot of other things. So.
1: Yeah, i I loved the idea of anthologies when they first became a thing, but now I feel like we've we've kind of beat them over the head a little bit. You know, American Horror Story is like, oh, this is really interesting, but I think the problem that we're starting to see with anthology type things is that we're running into the situation where, like, if if the next season is not good and it's always going to be compared to that first season you know it's it's like we said expectations right it's it's own standalone thing now and like at least if it's a season of a show you sort of are like oh well it's the characters i like right it's still these characters it's still this actor now you're starting over from scratch you know essentially with this second season and hoping that like you said you catch lightning in a bottle and it's you know it's run its course with some of the other anthologies and um you know i guess some people feel like the beauty is you can check in and check out so if you don't like season two then you can try it again in season three and maybe that that works um i just you know it was such a novel idea but now it feels like everything tries this anthology idea and it's it's like okay you know just do long form movies like i think you're right just do it one season and then you know call it something else
0: (laughs) yeah no i mean this god it's so good it's about five hours it's 10 30 minute episodes it's a really easy watch i think i watched it in a day um Hmm. and it's i don't know it just it really it really hits i mean he absolutely nailed it so that's what we're watching so that one's on hbo max it's called love life starring anna kendrick and then we talked about love wedding repeat from Netflix again. I'll be posting all this on Instagram, so just check us out there at Pause Reviews, and you can see all of our recommendations or not recommendations in some cases, uh, and uh, and then you can check it out at your leisure. Yeah. So the last thing, and I, th- I think we can do it because it's yeah. it's a pretty it's pretty simple. But we did get a listener question, and Chris mentioned that we're always or I'm always talking about whether or not a film is a commercial success or a theatrical success and and all this kind of stuff, right? So the question is how do you know if a film made money? This is a complicated answer and simply because we don't really know. As you can imagine, production companies are really tight-lipped about budgets in particular. So what they they generally release and what you see as the budget tends to really be more of like a, I don't know, like a general operating cost, right? Like this is what I'm willing to put public a uh, film could cost substantially more to produce. But that being said, right? Let's let's say that a film has an advertised budget of 100 million dollars or say in the case of like the Avengers or something like that, 250-300 million dollars. These are massive budgets. This is literally the cost of getting people in the room and putting them on camera and editing that and having a product a finished, ready-to-go product. What this budget does not include are things like marketing and advertisement, uh, distribution, prints, you know, so I think they call it, you know, it's like print and ads, so actually, back in the day when you would actually print the film that you would send yeah. to theaters, that kind of stuff. Now it's a digital package, obviously, in most cases. Like 99.9% of cases. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that doesn't really go into the budget. Also too like you know you, back end points or things like that, right? You might attract a talent by saying, you know, hey, I can't afford to pay you your $20 million ask. But if you make this movie for scale, which is the, the, the essentially the going rate for that level of actor, um, you know, it's like basically the minimum you can pay somebody, right? So, uh, if they if you if they agree to work for scale, but they want five percent on the back end, which is to say they want five percent of the profits, before you essentially consider it a profit. So whatever this movie makes, right? So the gross. Um, sure. And then, there's, so there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that go into this. The, my kind of rule of thumb is a lot of pictures will say you can kind of double the budget and that'll give you a good sense as to whether or not a film made money. And I think that's a pretty good rule of thumb. So if a film costs $300 million to make, if you say the film has to make $600 million to break even, that's probably a safe bet. Personally, I tend to go triple sometimes just because I give a little bit more leeway into maybe maybe it costs a little more than they said. Maybe you've got a lot, especially the Avengers, right? Like uh, Robert Downey Jr. famously had a back-end situation with his contract because, I mean, they brought him in for pennies on the dollar because they didn't know whether or not they could what they were going to get, right? Which, which Robert Downey were they going to get? And when yes. it turned out to be fantastic, he made his money later. Actually, one of the best negotiated contracts, um, but actually, before Robert Downey, I, mean, I think he broke this, um, or Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey's an actual other person. But uh, before Robert Downey Jr. broke the record, Jack Nicholson held the record for the highest payday for a single film in all time. Tim, do you know what film it was? Ooh, uh, no. It was 1989's Batman by Tim Burton. Interesting. Okay. So they brought him in for practically nothing and he had negotiated points on the back end. Now they were like, sure, no problem. This was a huge roll of the dice because who knew who was going to watch Batman? The answer is apparently everybody. (laughs) The film made tons of money and I think at the end of the day, Keaton ended up clearing like eighty something million dollars just wow. for one film, right? So and and Robert Downey Jr. blew that out of the water. Wait, so you, you said Keaton cleared? Sorry, or? sorry, sorry. Nicholson, Nicholson. Okay. Yeah. So Jack Nicholson had back end points, and uh, and then and so yeah. So at the end of the day, you know, maybe he got paid whatever five million dollars to shoot it. Yeah. But with all the tale that the film made, this was also Batman was one of the few was one of the first films to go to home release, which had never really happened before. So yeah. people were there was actually more of a back end for this, right People were buying this movie up, not to mention the licensing that you get from going to television and, or getting played in a hospital or getting played on an airplane. All yeah, of that right. is money the film brings in which is all stuff that isn't really included in the worldwide gross, right? So yeah. um, not really, it's not included in that. So right. anyways, but the, but the idea being these, these are things that we can't put our fingers on all of it. These aren't public knowledge things. Um, so when you're looking at a film's budget, If you at least double it, if not triple it, if the movie made more than triple its budget, it's a probably a safe bet that it made profit. Um, And then and then it's really just more of a guesstimation of how much profit. Right. So um, so, again, when we talk about films and when we talk about movies on this podcast and and we say that it was a huge success, that's usually that's probably the metric I'm using. Um, Makes sense. which was yeah. the case right we talked about it for parasite parasite mm-hmm. cost like 11 million to make and it made 250 million dollars <laughs> that movie was a huge commercial success yeah chris hope that answers your question so yeah. with that ladies and gentlemen we bring our episode to a sad close but don't yeah. worry we'll be back and we'll be back in a week from now which will be july 2nd the 4th of july episode tim what are we watching
1: Gonna do a little Independence Day. Oh so, yes, we're gonna tackle that. If we're feeling ambitious, maybe we'll delve into the uh, resurgence. Right, Independence Day resurgence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no guarantees. Don't bank on that part. Uh, don't bank on that part. But um, definitely Independence Day. Little Jeff Goldblum action. Little Will Smith action.
0: Yeah. So Independence Day. Give it a watch. You've got a. You've got a week. From when this airs, I'm still thinking. Yep. I was like, "Oh, you got two weeks," but no, no, no. <laughs> no. This will happen on Thursday, Independence Day. Will Smith, Jeff Goldblum, and if you're feeling if you're feeling froggy, do Resurgence just in case. But if not, we won't fault you. I, I think right now it's not included anywhere. You would have to rent this one. So wherever yeah. you get your digital movies, um, and I want to say I think it's like two ninety nine, three ninety nine to rent this. It'll probably even drop in time for this, just because it's an Independence Day thing. It might yep. be like a ninety nine cent rental. I don't know but we'll check it out, and uh, so we'll be back in a week to talk about that. In the meantime, make sure to follow us on Instagram at pausedreviews. Like I said, we're gonna be posting a bunch of content and stuff related to this episode that you're gonna wanna see. Make sure to subscribe and rate our show wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, the list goes on. Um, so wherever you get your shows, make sure you subscribe, make sure you rate us, make sure you like us, make sure you share us, tell your friends, tell your family. If you want to go to the website, www.posreviews.com, you can follow the links to subscribe wherever you want. You know, send us your comments, send us your questions, send us... Recommendations, things you want us to talk about, shows and TV you want us to watch, movies you want us to watch, um, you can send it to us through any of the channels I just said or email us directly pausereviews at gmail.com. Yeah, Ugh, awesome. I think that about is everything. Is beautiful. Yeah. It's thanks, beautiful. Thanks, yeah. thanks, man. God, <laughs> it's that external validation. It's why yeah. you're here. All right, guys. So with that, we will call it a night. As always, I'm your boy Frank. This is Tim. And thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. Peace.